In a world where the people have no voice. Fake news runs wild. And social, social, social media dictates our lives. And we're here to keep it real at Media Lab. Just a group of students looking for the truth. Hashtag what story are you telling? Hashtag go tell it. NPR Media Lab. Welcome, everybody. What's going on? This is our 10th podcast. I am so excited. I can't even begin to convey how I feel about what has transpired and the work that these students have done. There is absolutely no way this could have been done without the work of the team. So grateful for the team and for the work that they put in. What's going on, y'all? What's going on, Rec? Brian Anthony Bevilacqua. We're about to have our 10th one out right now. This is Allison, Allison Morin. For you, Allison, was when you worked with this young student whose name we're going to leave anonymous and how he came to a place where he was able to share with a larger group some of the things that he's gone through. That blew my mind. For you to have made that connection with him so that he could feel comfortable to do that, that to me was just a wonderful representation of what this work is about, you know. Of course, and it wasn't about getting his story either. It was about coming to a place of healing. And I think that by being vulnerable and allowing myself to share my own story, that opens up a space for him to then feel like, okay, I can I can tell mine as well. I and mean, we can open up a dialogue. And I think that both I and him grew a lot from that. Yeah, that was pretty powerful because I feel like that was the beginning of you really getting into this work. Something clicked for you where you were able to use that with the other students that we were working with. Honestly, I would have never seen myself in the situation working with these young people. I think that it wasn't necessarily one moment for me. I think that it was a series of small interactions with the students and in small ways that being privileged enough to hear their stories and to listen to the things that they were telling me that stuck with me and still stay with me. And I think that it's the combination of all of the people that I've met and all the people I've connected to that's made me very serious about the work that we're doing. I tell all my friends, like when I try to explain what the class is, I just say, they're like, well, why do you do that? Like, you're teaching journalism, you're, what are you doing? And It's just so cool to work with a group of people who are so passionate about so many things. They're so intelligent, and I don't mean like necessarily in the book smart way, but just like emotionally intelligent, very wise, and the group of people that we work with, like first of all, you guys, and most importantly, the young people that we work with. I I love collaboration and so it's just like it's always been so cool to have people who all have the same amount of passion and have different stories to tell. Specifically when you're working with the young people, for me it's the idea that I want these young people to have all the positive experience that I was able to have and I want them to be able to bypass all the negative experiences that I had. Carlos McBride, the director, his father, he was the first adult that really listened to me and really made me believe that I could do something with writing and I could do something with storytelling. And that was transformative for me. The way that they were able to pull the best out of me 
That was life-changing for me. I just wanted to do that for other people. So thank you all for the work that you've done. It's been phenomenal. All of you young folks for taking the risks, for putting your stories out there, for giving us, the listeners, the opportunity to be a part of your world. But most importantly, for teaching us, for teaching us what it looks like to embrace humility and to take chances. And that's the most important thing that I feel I've been able to get out of this work. Big shout going out to John Volsey, Tema Silk. Thank you to Sarah Redigari. Thank you to Sam Godding. Thank you to Trudy Joseph and Elena Williams. Uh, we definitely couldn't be here without you. Thank you to the students for your honesty and sharing your story and the resilience with which you say them. These kids have been through rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds of revisions, and they're always willing to push themselves to the next level, the next level of emotion, the next level of writing, the next level of storytelling. So thanks to all those students. Thank you to the Care Center. Thank you to the High School of Commerce, everybody over there, Brian Danboyce, mm -hmm. all the students working with us, all the folks in Holyoke, Dean Vocational Tech High School, Holyoke High School, and everybody that's just been working with us thus far to help make this podcast what it's become. So thank you. Stay tuned. We hope you enjoy our 10th podcast. You're tuned in to Media Lab. Amir J. McIver. Amir is an Egyptian name meaning prince. Joseph comes from my grandfather and dad, whose names were both Joseph. And McIver comes from the classic TV show McIver. I like that because McIver was creative, like I am. My name is Jean, but I like to use my nickname, Zen. As you'd expect, Zen is known to be interpreted as peaceful or tranquil, but to me, it just means me. It represents who I am, yet it also shows who I want to be. But you haven't seen me until I've told the story that people need to hear to understand me. My name is Jaden Isaiah Torres, Isaiah being spelled differently than usual. My middle name comes from the famous basketball player, Isaiah Thomas. I love my name because it represents who I am. Jaden being normal, Isaiah meaning salvation, and Torres meaning tower. My father always told me that if you're a Torres, giving up was never an option. I'm the only sibling in my family with the name starting with the J. I feel like this shows my leadership. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Common. The meaning of my name is joyful. The joyful is like I'm friend with everybody, even black, white, Hispanic. I treat everybody equal. I don't have specific friend that I hang out with. I'm equal to everybody. So I have no problem hanging out with anybody. My name is Kelly Clark. Not Kelly as in California. I'm different. Though I can be shiny and bright like the state, I can also be dark and mysterious. I also love to help those in need, much like Clark Kent, also known as Superman. My name is not a place or a superhero. My name is me. My name is Janet, sis. Um, it means adventurous and artistic. But that's what Google told me, so. It's a really rare name, which is why I love it. But since it's rare, it's hard to find it in like a soda bottle or in a choker, which is pretty annoying. I also go by Jinx. Jinx was given to me by my friend Lexi. I used to always get kind of evilly, and I would jinx people. And bad things would always happen to them, so you can see why I got the name from. My birth given name was Alexander Jamar Colazzo, but I never liked it, mostly because it was a boy name. But now I changed it to Alexander Jade Colazzo Roman. But I still don't like it. It reminds me of my boy name, so I decided to narrow it down to girl nicknames like Lexi, Alexa, and Jade. As a little girl, I have always struggled with believing. 
believing in myself, my dreams, and my future. My name is Faith. Faith is believing the impossible when it seems nothing is there. When the lake is dry, but you still tell yourself, no, there must be something there. Maybe it was destined for me to be named Faith. My dad says I was his little light, his hope, and that's why he named me Faith, because I was his lighthouse in the darkness. But I'm unsure about this. Even though my name is Faith, I still seem to struggle with believing in anything. I seem to question religion, myself, and what I want in the future. I even question if my father was truly speaking the truth. Faith sounds like a name that a person who is peaceful and sweet deserves, but I've been through a lot of experiences that aren't so sweet and peaceful, and those experiences become a part of me and my existence. And you're listening to NEPR Media Lab's 10th podcast. Bring us through it. We're in our car most of the time. Mm-hmm. It would get hot because mm-hmm. we were in our car, um, six of us, so we slept uncomfortable. Some of us barely slept. Six of y'all, what was going through your mind? What were some of the things that you would think about? I was thinking about school, and then I was thinking about the thought of us being taken away and how I would react if we got split up. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot. So you, you were the oldest? Yeah, two sisters and two brothers. Mm-hmm. My baby brother was only a year and a half. Mm-hmm. My little brother was five and a half. My sister was 12, and the youngest was 10. What would the morning be like? My mom would leave like at 4 o'clock in the morning and get ready at 5 o'clock to get ready for work. Mm-hmm. Before, we used to stop like at a McDonald's or um, a Burger King or Dunkin' Donuts bathroom. Mm-hmm. We would go do our hair, brush our teeth in there. How did that make you feel? It reminded me of the people that I used to see in the streets. Like when I'm eating at restaurants like at McDonald's, I would see them come in and go to the bathroom clean themselves and then you made the transition to come to Springfield mm-hmm. talk about what it was like leaving some of the students and the people that were your friends it hurt me because I was friends with them since elementary middle school they never knew my situation I've never explained to them so they never knew why it just sucks because my family that was down there they didn't even bother to help us either so it was just like we were on our own then when we moved up here, everything changed, and we thought we were by ourselves too, till um, my mom's brother told her that one of our aunts lived out here. Mm-hmm. So we figured a way to go and meet her. It was like any other student, like when you go to another grade level or another school, you didn't have no friends, you would get lost, get yelled at by teachers because you were late. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make friends because a lot of people ask me why I moved from Lawrence to up here, and I really never explained my situation why. What does writing do for you, for you to want to be a writer? I want to write my own autobiography. Mm. You just share your story? And, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I mean, we're better now than what we were before. My mom's still stressed out because she doesn't like the shelter. The fact that they're always on top of us. We have to be home at a certain time. We can't be out. We only have um, four days off out of a whole month to spend like the night out at my aunt's. She just wants to get her own place already. So you're still at a shelter? Yeah. Out here? I mean, I live where people say the Dusties live. And what are, what are the Dusties? What would people say the Dusties are? Like crackheads, um, homeless people, because I live like in that street you drive by and that's what you see. Mm-hmm. 
we live in a two bedrooms, but there's six beds. My friend that comes to this school, she was in a shelter before. She moved out. We came in the same time, but she moved out before I did, because it's only her, her mom, and her sister. So when you're in school, does it impact you? I do what I need to do when I get to school, and when I get home, it's just, I don't know, I just don't. Yeah. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Commentary is a personal story told within the time frame of two to five minutes. Typically, commentaries are about personal subjects. Now, back to our show. Imagining being homeless for almost a year. It's crazy, I know I lived it. Can you imagine not knowing where you might sleep next? I went through so much that has affected me my freshman year. The situation that I was going through had brought down my grades. I wasn't focusing right in school and my absences became an issue. I honestly thought I was gonna stay back and have another year in high school. In 2014 and 2015, I've had the roughest year. So much was going on with my family and I. Everything changed after my mom's brother had passed away. My aunt ended up kicking us out, so we, my mom, my two brothers, and two sisters, and I were living on the streets. Yeah, there were a couple days we spent the night at my mom's friend's house, or nights we would spend at my uncle's house. Since they were living in housing, we couldn't stay every day. Some nights we would sleep in a car. My mom barely slept. In order for us not to get in trouble, my mom would drive all around Lawrence and hide in different streets just to sleep. In the morning when my siblings would get ready for school, I would help them do a favor and help my mom. While she works, I would watch my baby brother. So every morning at 7 a.m. after they had to leave, I would go to the park early. My mom had two part-time jobs, to be a bus driver for disabled adults, and another job she had was a home health aid care. There were some days where we'd gone with my mom in the afternoon and we would help. I slowly saw my mom getting sick. She was so depressed, stressed, and everything. It was hurting me to see her like that. I tried to help my mom as much as I could. The biggest responsibility I had was to watch my youngest baby brother. I was only 14 and a half, almost 15 years old. I took some of my time from school to do that favor for my mom because she didn't have anyone to help her. There was one point in the summer where Someone called DSS because they've noticed us. We almost got taken away. That was my worst fear. I was becoming more and more depressed. Honestly, with all that that I was going through, I thought I was going to be kicked out of one of the best vocational schools in Lawrence. But after my mom talked to my guidance counselor and explained to them why I missed so many school days, they understood why. I still remember it like if it was yesterday. Went to DCF and they decided to help us. October 27, 2016, we moved to Springfield, Mass. My first time moving here, I was so upset. I was happy in a way because we had a roof over our head. With actual beds, I was still upset the fact that we had to switch schools, make new friends, and get used to the new place. It was very difficult for the first few months, getting confused and lost. I've learned so much, almost a year living in Springfield and working hard to get our own place because living in a shelter sucks. In a way, the situation has helped me. I've overcome the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It also taught me that being in school is very important and that any chance I get in school to take advantage because I never know when it's going to happen to me again. This is Chase Dion and you're listening to NEPR's Media Lab podcast coming at you now. High school, the most unrealistic, unfriendly place in the human race. I had survived freshman year with flying colors, A's and little B's in some of my classes. I was feeling great until sophomore year. 
Sophomore year was the year that I started experiencing audio hallucinations that were telling me terrible things, things that I could never say. I would have good days like everybody and bad days, only my bad days were bad days. I hid the voices for months. What seems like weeks ended up being only a few hours in school. They sounded like people I've never met. Having to turn around in the middle of the hallway wondering if someone said something to you is very disorienting. I stopped talking to people, I gained weight, and I secluded myself so that no one would catch this disease I had. Sophomore year, I started to slip through the cracks. Along with slipping through the cracks, I'd gained visual hallucinations. The best way I can explain it, which really isn't all that great, it's very dark, but you're walking down the street and you see a suspicious person. Is it a person? Is it an animal? You can't see it. It would scare the crap out of you, right? But you turn around and see something else, and it's not really there. After hearing and seeing enough, I finally took the voice's advice. After the voices took over and made the decisions for me, I blacked out. I was unaware of what I did next. I started coming back when I was in the children's hospital with my mom. She had told me what happened. I was not thrilled to be alive. They put me in inpatient, stripped me of my belongings, my clothes, my family, and my friends. Everything was gone. I was alone in an adult psych ward unit. I was basically in jail, alone with my thoughts and sights. When I got out two weeks later, I started on new medication. It would deplete my appetite, make my memory in the bottom 3% of average people, neutralize my emotions, and worst of all, I still had bad days, but it wasn't like they were before. At the time, I was taking about seven different medications which were being messed with on a daily basis. Some days, I needed to stay home just because I'd be a hazard to others or myself. However, the moral of the story isn't me. It's about getting help. There is help for you. You have to advocate for yourself and talk to people. You are worth so much more than you think. It is definitely worth it. Suicide is never an option and should not be an option to anybody. Whatever is happening right now, I'm sure you can get through it. If you ever need help, the international number for suicide prevention is 1-800-273-8255 or you can visit www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Your call is completely confidential and free. Please do not hesitate to call them if somebody or you need assistance. My name is Zen. Shout out NPR Media Lab. Media Lab helped me to be comfortable for standing for my own beliefs. It helped me become more brave in speaking for myself because normally I wouldn't tell anyone a serious story unless I were I was really close to that person. Like, for instance, a friend that I had since elementary school. I just never thought such a moment would open up for me to just have people hear this. And it kind of shocks me to see that people want to hear things like this because they want to actually get to know me. Imagine a world where your voice doesn't matter and no one cares about your opinion. And in Media Lab, that's the opposite. Media Lab wants to hear you. It wants to know your story. It wants to know what's going on in the world from your standpoint.
One of my favorite projects that I have done so far is the commentary because this was a moment where I was able to finally put my life story into a piece where people would see what can be happening behind closed doors. You know, there's a lot of things that are involved. For instance, there are foster care issues, transitioning issues. If you want to be able to have a voice and shout it out into the world saying, I'm here, look at me. I think Media Lab would be a great place to stop by. My name is Jinx and you're listening to Media Lab. I grew distant from my mom because I was separated from her at five years old. I was sent away to foster care where I would spend the next two and a half years before returning home. My foster mom's cooking made me feel like my real home was abstract. My foster mom's cooking smelled like plain yellow rice and Uncle Ben's beans. My real mom cooks with spice, flavor, heat, passion, and love. Her Spanish white rice softly glides down your throat, and it has a perfect saltiness, which to me is paradise. Her chicken explodes with flavor. I had dreams of my mother fading out of earshot. When I was awake, the food I ate made this separation worse. In her 60s and white as daylight, with a smack of peach to compensate, my foster mom wore a plaid shirt and styled her yellow, gray hair and bob cut. She was nice, but she wasn't my mom. I wasn't supposed to be here. Hispanic with tan, long black hair, deep brown eyes, that's my mom. My foster mom's house was furnished like an antique store, outdated furniture, rugs in almost every room. She had a game room filled with video games. From the old-fashioned Nintendo DS to the Wii. This is where I found my love for games, the most positive part of the experience. Further forward was the game room, the only one of the places in this house where I'd find sanctuary, the other being my new room. My real mom's house was just a simple room in an apartment complex. Made out of brick and painted white, the room colored only the aromas of my mother's cooking wasn't even a house, it was a room in an apartment complex. But I didn't care about that. She was my mother for crying out loud. It didn't matter where we lived. As long as I was with her, nothing else mattered. When I went back with my mother, I expected to reconnect with her, but I didn't. The distance only grew more and more. Think of it as trying to run to the end of a hallway, but the more you run, the farther the corridor grows. The more I ran towards her, the further away I felt. The hallway just never ends. And that's what it felt like when I failed to reconnect with my mother. I can't help but feel so sorry for the kids nowadays that have to go through the same pain and end up like me. Yes, there will be dark times that you will have to face. But I also want them to know that they do hold power to change. Embrace the adversity that burns within you. Turn it into strength. You are you. Don't let anything detain you to such a state that you allow others to define you by your trauma. You are just as human as they are. And remember these words to help you survive those aching years. By writer William Arthur Ward, straight from the poster of my 10th grade history teacher's classroom walls. Adversity causes some men to break. Others break records. My name is Zen. Media Lab means a lot to me. I did two projects. The third one I'm working on right now is a foundation right now. Like, if you come here, we're just paving our way through. So if you want to come down here, man, it's fun. It's all love. We going to do this. 
Listen, it's gonna impact you. We're on our way up. This is Gary Campbell from Media Lab. I'm Liza and I teach creative writing at the Care Center and I get to work with Ivelisse and Subdali and others on the radio project and in other capacities writing-wise too. And what I love about what both of you are saying is just that it's kind of this act of radical thinking. If you're feeling like other people are judging you, instead of shutting down, to turn around and share your story the way that both of you have in the class and how other people in the class have as well. Because I think a lot of the time when you feel like someone doesn't understand you, there's kind of this impulse to push back. But it's been really, really awesome to see all of you decide, no, I'm going to actually take a minute and do what you're saying, Ivelisse. Sit down and explain, this is where I'm coming from and this is why some of the things that are in my life that other people might see and think certain things about, this is why they are that way. And that's like, that takes a lot of bravery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm Amanda and I'm working with the Care Center as a creative writing teacher. Um, Although I don't really feel like I'm teaching anybody writing. I feel like I'm just kind of here, being able to listen to the stories that you all have inside. You know, I'm just here and I feel like I'm just listening. You're here to uh, listen to uh, us and yeah. understand us. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely feel like the the word teacher feels like the wrong word to use for me, which is maybe the biggest thing that I've learned and the biggest surprise for me. It's like, no, <laughs> you guys are teaching me. You're being um, a big listener. Sometimes people just need people to listen to yeah. them yeah. and sit down and listen to them because they don't have family that sit down and tell them, oh, this is what is going to happen. Like, consejo. Um, how you say that in English? Um, like advice. Advice. Mm-hmm. Some people, we don't, you know, some some people out there don't got people to give mm-hmm. them advice mm-hmm. of what's going on in life or how to keep moving forward, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of, some people don't got their mother or their mm-hmm. dad or anybody to be looking out for them. You and know? then they hold so, so much inside that, that the only thing they do is write so other people could listen sh- listen and read what they went through. And it's hard. It's hard to write about our lives, you know. Sometimes it's hard for me to write about my life, especially after everything I've been through, you know. And when I wrote, it really, 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 like, I felt good about myself. I felt like I... Let, Let the yeah, like I'm letting the past just be the past and just keeping forward in my life, you know. I have a huge thing to deal with now, you know, my daughter and I'm I'm focusing on that and it's really good. This program has yeah, it has helped me and it's a mm-hmm. blessing and thank you all, you know, for being here and for listening to us. At least someone does, you know. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's been so amazing for me to learn from all of you is just this certain kind of honesty. And it's not even about honesty, like, oh, you're willing to reveal things. It's like you're so honest about just who you are um, in in so many different little ways within the stories that you tell. Um, so it's not just it's not just like, oh, let me tell you about this big thing. And that in itself is a certain kind of honesty, which is also amazing in and of itself. But then it's like, just I, I'm thinking about these little little moments inside of the stories that each each of you, both of you and others from the care center as well have told. And it's like um, just 
just full of your personality. So it's like this this honesty that's also just an authentic reflection of who you are as a person um, and so full of life in that way. And that's something that really inspires me as a writer. Some people don't like honesty. Some people just hate when you be real. Some people just hate the fact that you just like that, you straight up. Some people just mm-hmm. hate that. But sometimes you got to be real. Why? Because being being fake or something you're not is making you unhappy. So why be the person that you don't want to be? Be mm-hmm. the person that you really are. Like, there's this friend in school. Um, I'm not going to say name, but, yeah, there's this friend in school that her man, you know, kind of is not really a good person for her. Every time I try to give her the advice not to really keep on with that relationship that is unhealthy, she keeps on going. And I only could help so much, mm-hmm. you know? I could only be her friend and tell her, I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you what I see from my point of view. And I'm trying to help you out. If you don't see it, I, I can only help you really so much. Sometimes people just don't take it because they think that you're jealous of them. Yeah. When it's not that, it's that you, it's, as you as the friend, you be there. You tell them advice. You tell them this is wrong. I went through it. Bang. They don't want to listen to you. Let them be. Why? Because that's their life. I love that. Both of both of you, or maybe all of you, but I know Amanda, and I feel like Evelise, you're kind of saying this too. I love that you're both talking about kind of being surprised by things, and I wonder if there were other things. This question is for all three of you that surprised you as you went through the process. The first day we were here, coming to today, where we're almost at the graduation ceremony. Like, what surprised you in yourself or in the experience? I feel good, honestly. Like, I feel relieved. I feel happy when i'm out of school it's just so much stress so much stuff going on but when i'm in school and i'm in this radio thing like i have never been in a radio station i have never done this before in my life i have never wrote about my life before you know it's hard to write about it and when i did it i felt so relieved i felt good about myself i felt like i'm happy you know like i got something looking forward to you know and writing makes me feel really good about myself I get nervous, but I do it. I finish it. I like it. It's fun. Did it surprise you that you liked it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Today I was nervous a little bit. I was confused when you're reading, but it takes patience. Yeah, I mean, I'm always surprised and excited. I feel like it's useful for me as a writer, too, because outside of my work with you all, like I'm trying to write fiction and nonfiction, and I, I see so clearly working on this project how important that idea of audience is and how it changes things to feel like you have a listener and it kind of makes me think about how important that is like in the wider world like I wish that people just listened better in general to each other in our communities and in the culture that we live in because it once you know that you're putting it out there and it's going to be in the air and it's on tape and other people can listen I can see that help I feel like it helps each of you to tell your story in a way that if I sat down with you in a writing class and said, write your life story, it might be like more boring. But once you know you're going to record it, it opens something up because you know you've got that listener. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like I like writing minds as a poem. I like writing as a poem. I don't know. I think people understand it more like that. It's like more rhythm. It's not like sad or depressing, it's like a poem. I feel like poem is like shorter than writing the whole story, but I still tell my story in a poem. I think for me it's better like that. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Well, <laughs> um, my name is Sudali Monsanto, and I'm from the Care Center. And my life has been all right, I guess. It's been stressful. 
um, I guess a lot of bills to pay is trust bills stress me out. And well, I wrote this piece because a girl in school was tucking down on us, fifteen year old, fourteen year old, giving birth. I guess she said it's wrong for us to give birth. Like what a fifteen year old is thinking about having sex. Well, I wasn't thinking about having sex, but you know, it just happened. I had my daughter and I'm proud. And I wrote this piece based on her. She was discriminating us mothers she because we're, yeah, she was just talking crap about us, saying that we're too young to have kids, that what us, what we was thinking about. But you know, how people are, they mm. just say whatever they want to say. They don't, they don't know what you've been through. And I've been through a lot, but I manage my life right now, and I still manage to say I'm happy and I'm proud to where I'm at right now, and I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm getting there little by little, but I'm getting there. That's why I wrote the Don't Judge Me, because people like to judge without knowing your background, without giving you a chance to know who you really are. Mm -hmm. Like, you're supposed to not judge nobody by the way they look. How about if they going through so much that you don't even know? People judging without knowing. Mm -hmm. Sit down. Sit down for a minute and know the person and then judge them for why they being like that, why they acting like that, why they so difficult to handle. Out there, there's a lot of people that are going through some worse shit that mm -hmm. we going through, and they still keep their head up and still going. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like... Don't judge me. Even some people don't know how to ask for help, you know? And us writing this probably could help a lot of people, you know, to do better in life and to stay strong and positive. Knowing that I'm struggling right now, like negative and positive, I gotta stay positive because negativity is really hitting me really hard right now. And um, I'm just going through a lot right now that nobody understands. This is, has been uh, una experiencia bien, bien cool that have, I have been in. This is really showing me how to write more about my life, how to write more how I feel. It's really showing me that writing is the key to everything. You're listening to NEPR Media Lab. Hashtag, what story are you telling? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You don't know me. Don't talk without knowing my background, my past. Don't judge me without knowing who I am, where I came from. Stop it. So annoying. You really don't know me. You about to let me tell you. Listen, sit down. I'm going to tell you I was not born to make others happy. I'm going to be me no matter what. And I don't care what you or anybody have to say. Don't judge me. Yeah, young parent. No support from no one. Had to do everything by myself, only getting older, not younger. People judge with knowing where you came from. Take a minute, sit down, listen, then talk. Started from the bottom, almost there. Don't judge me. Don't confuse me. Don't look at me and think that you could play me. I know where you're coming from. Why would you do me like that? This is not fair. Don't confuse me by telling me you're mine when you're not. Don't make me think that we are together when we're not. Don't tell me dreams and love that is never going to happen. Don't tell me you love me. All you're doing is confusing me and hurting me. You want sex and it will never be us. Don't confuse me. 
From the care center, Ivelis Rivera recording from the media lab. I was raised by an unprotected mother. I kind of used to get bullied by my brother since my mom used to spoil me a lot. There was three boys just annoying me all the time, but they were my brothers. I understood how they felt about my mom being so overprotective. My mom decided to move to the U.S. to start over. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay where I felt like I belonged. So after we moved to the U.S., I started acting up. I started hanging out with the wrong people and doing stuff a 13-year-old shouldn't be doing, like going out to parties, hanging out with my older women, coming home late, skipping school, just to go have fun, smoking, drinking. One night, when I was 13, I snuck out of my house. I went away with one of my old friends, and she took me to this hotel with these guys. One of them was her boyfriend, and one of them I didn't know. Then everybody decided to go get some food, so she told me to stay behind with the guy I didn't know. I thought it was fine because she knew him, but it went all wrong. He started being sweet, then he tried to kiss me. After that, I just didn't know what I could do to push him away. He was older, smarter, and I felt like I couldn't do nothing to push him away. So I sat quietly, I didn't scream, I didn't yell. Then he just did what he had to do. And I cried, and then I left. I took a shower more than 20 times just to take his mouth, his hands, and everything out of me. I just couldn't look at my mom and tell her something like that. I felt nasty. After that, I didn't like to go out as much anymore. But after my bad experience, I used to run away at night just to take my mind of what happened. I started being rude and miserable. I really didn't even care about school. My mom used to push me more, but I just didn't care enough to keep on going to school. So I started skipping classes. I was just down all the time. I tried killing myself so many times. I didn't really care about life. Till one day, I met this boy at a party in New Year's Eve. Then he walked me home. And from there, we started a relationship that lasted like five months. He was a little player who broke my heart a couple times. He used to manipulate me a lot, didn't let me go nowhere. We used to be home all the time. We couldn't go nowhere because there was always a problem. He was nice sometimes, but only to get what he wanted. Then I gave him something I was scared to give. Then four months us dating, I found out I'm one month pregnant. I kind of figured it out. I felt so different, anxious, scared to tell my mom he wanted me to get pregnant. But my mom had this huge quinceanera planned for me already. I didn't want to disappoint her. Then I kept having this pain in my stomach. I was complaining at school. But I couldn't say nothing at home because I kind of knew what was happening to me. But then the nurse called my mom to the school because my pain wasn't normal. She screamed at me and told me we was going somewhere to check out what she thought was going on. My mom was mad. She went to this little clinic on Carroll Street in Holyoke and told them to do a pregnancy test. I didn't want to do it, but I still did it. I went to the bathroom wishing that pregnancy was going to be negative. I waited two seconds, and it came back positive. I didn't want to come out the bathroom. I was terrified. I finally came out the bathroom, and the doctor told her I was pregnant. My mom burst in tears, and I did too. I just didn't know what to say or do, so I just kept my words to myself. I wanted to say how sorry I was. I didn't mean it to happen. I know she worked really hard for me to do so good in school, and I disappointed her so bad without wanting to, just because I was only thinking about myself. 
I knew she was trying her best for me to have this amazing day. Of course, her only little girl was turning 15 years old. For us Puerto Ricans, that's a special tradition. I knew I ruined it, and I really didn't have nothing to say to her. After the doctor spoke to her, we got in the car and went home. She smacked me when she found out I didn't blame her. I deserved it. I knew she had worked so hard for me not to follow her steps. She told me to have an abortion. Of course, that's the first thing I thought about, just to make her happy. Because I knew I made a mistake, but there was nothing I could have said that was going to change what she was feeling deep inside after her 14-year-old daughter came out positive in a pregnancy test. What could have I said that moment that was going to make her feel better? I really don't know. I was scared. My life was horrible at the moment, so I really didn't know what to do. I started by writing a letter, telling my baby mommy was going to give up on her. Yeah, her, because I knew deep down I was having a baby girl. My gut was telling me this weird feeling that I was having a girl. It's hard to explain. It was my first baby, but I felt like she was meant to be. I just couldn't see my life no other way. I told her how sorry I was going to be, how she wasn't a mistake. But I just thought I wasn't going to be good enough for her. I thought I wasn't going to be a good example for her. But I just felt it wasn't the time for me to be a mom. I'm sorry. I have to do this, but just know I have you in my heart no matter what. I was just standing in my room, looking and feeling the loneliness and darkness around my room, looking down to my belly, feeling so guilty and lonely, trying to figure out how did I got here. I needed to see the difference somehow. I couldn't live with the guilt of letting something like this go. I felt like nobody should have to choose alone on something so important and pure. I see myself moving forward, not alone, making every day a better day. For me and my beautiful baby girl, after writing and writing, I was so hurt. Just the thought of letting the only pure thing that I had go would have killed me. Even if everyone was going to talk me down because I was only 15 years old, I didn't know better. I decided to be grown and stay positive just for her. I had faith just for the little life that was growing inside of me. Every moment in my pregnancy made me realize there was more in life, and I had to keep going, not only for me, but for my baby girl. I was 15 years old when I had her, but she saved my life. She made me want to keep forward with life. And until this day, she keeps saving me with the beautiful smiles she gives me and those beautiful giggles she gives me. Until this day, I'm proud to say I became a mother at the age of 15. It's the best blessing God has ever given me, and nobody could tell me otherwise. I just live day by day now, giving my daughter everything I could give her, and every day she makes me proud. I wouldn't change my life. I'm happy for what I've become, and yes, I'm a young mother. I love every minute of it. Yeah, I might not be perfect, but I tried as much as I can to give my daughter everything I never had, and I will continue doing it until my last breath. New England Public Radio's Media Lab is made possible through the generous contributions from the Berkshire Bank Foundation, Incorporated, the Community Foundation of Western Massachusetts, the Irene E. and George A. Davis Foundation, Tom and Kit Dennis, Thomas and Marilyn Ewig, the Kitteridge Foundation, Mass Humanities, T. 
TD Bank and TD Charitable Foundation, the United Bank Foundation, the Rotary Club, and two anonymous donors. To find more of our work, check us out on NEPR.net, or you can hit us up on Facebook at NEPR underscore Media Lab. And don't forget to hashtag what story are you telling as you tell your own. Peace.